Welcome to the Impact Columbus podcast. This season, we are focusing on stories, mom stories, dad stories, kid stories, all the stories. This is one we all know. This is a story about parents doing the best to make their best decision they can for their kids in a really hard, weird time. We'll be getting a scoop on the pediatric COVID-19 vaccine straight from our favorite pediatrician, Dr. Rachel Kirshner. Although she really needs no introduction, I will let her introduce herself. Rachel? Yeah. So thanks for having me, Patty. Always a pleasure to be here with you. Um, Dr. Rachel Kirshner. So I'm a board certified pediatrician, um, pediatric hospitalist at Columbus Regional, and probably more relevant for today's talk, a parent of four. So I have four kids ages four to just turn 12. Yikes. I am also a mom of four. I talk about that all the time. So I like, I feel that deeply mm -hmm. when you talk about that. Um, so I have a lot of questions here. You've gotten ahead of time, but I think really it's what everybody wants to know right now is like, what, what are we doing? Like, what is the best thing to do? People keep saying like, oh, Omicron's not that bad. Before we were talking about Delta and kids. Now we're talking about Omicron. I read the other day that there's, there's a new one coming. And so as a person and a mom like yourself, who's been living in the anxiety of COVID world for the last two years, um, can you kind of give us like a local state of affairs of what's going on? Are we seeing a lot of sick kids? Are we seeing vaccinated kids? Like what's, what's going on? Yeah, good question. So overall, I think Indiana in general is not a greatly vaccinated state, which is kind of a bummer. Um, and, and we have seen a much different trend in the last few weeks to months than we had previously with COVID and our kids. Um, you know, early on, unlike most every illness there ever is out there, which usually affects the young and the old, um, COVID seemed to not affect our children the same way that it did adults. And as parents and pediatricians, you know, that was great. Like we loved that the whole first year of the pandemic, it, you know, as families, we were making huge sacrifices. Um, but our kids were doing very well. That has definitely changed over the last few months. And, you know, it, I'm I'm a realistic person. I'm I'm not a panic and run type of person. So I don't want to paint the picture that, you know, kids are dying left and right. That that certainly is still not the case. It's not as severe still for most children as adults, but we are seeing change. So, um, you know, with the Delta variant, um, we saw an increase in, in its effect on kids and same thing with Omicron. So with each variant that comes, it seems like our kids are being less and less spared. Um, just to throw some numbers out there. Um, for those numbers, types of people in the crowd, um, just a few articles or studies that have come out in the last month. Um, early in January, a New England Journal of Medicine study cited 180 adolescents that were admitted to the PICU. 29% um, of those required life support. So we're talking ventilator, you know, um, would not have made it without those medical interventions. And only two of those kids, of two of those 180 kids, were fully vaccinated. Um, so again, we, we, we see some differences and we'll get into that more. Um, in January, um, January 4th, Riley made a pretty public statement um, about what they were seeing at Riley Children's Hospital, you know, one of our two big children's hospitals here in Indiana. Um, 
saying that they had seen the most hospitalized kids with COVID thus far in the whole pandemic, and about half of the kids that were being admitted for COVID were needing ICU-level care, and about 40% of those kids requiring intubation. So again, not super common, generally speaking, but if you're the parent of one of those children, um, that's a big deal for your kiddo to be admitted to the ICU to need to be intubated. Um, and then one of the more recent things that I saw come out just as far as, you know, what other health impacts might the COVID illness have on our kids, not just in the short term, whether or not they have severe illness, need to go, you know, hospitalized, be on event, is just some of the long-term effects that we're now starting to see. Um, you know, there's MISC, which can happen about a month after having the acute COVID infection. Um, but now there's talk about risk of diabetes. We know that adults who have diabetes are more severely affected. Affected, tend to have more complications, but now we're kind of seeing even a reversal where kids who are um, infected with COVID are showing to be about two and a half times more likely to end up diagnosed with diabetes after their COVID infection. Is that type one or type two diabetes? Um, type type one. Yeah. So there's a lot of things we don't know about medicine, and and we you know learn more as we go. Why is that happening? We don't really know, but you know, the risk is there that um, even just having a mild infection with COVID could put your child at a higher risk of, of type one diabetes, which is a game changer. changer. Yeah, that's that's life changing. Yeah. Yeah. I did not know about this diabetes situation. Like, I feel like that that's a game changer in my head. I'm like, okay, three out of four of my kids are already vaccinated, but that really does kind of change the equation for me just because I've seen kiddos you know, with type one diabetes and, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, managing that for the rest of their life. And that's, that's crazy bananas. Yeah. I'm not a fan of that. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the, one of the things I probably hear the most is we just don't know what the long-term side effects of the vaccine are. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and while I can understand that perspective, um, two things, one, Interestingly enough, most of our side effects that come from vaccines we see in, in the early phases of that vaccine. Long-term side effects of vaccines, I'm not going to say impossible because I can't promise pretty much anything, um, but that's just not... That's not how it works. It's not what we see. Um, we know there are some side effects and, and slight risks to the vaccine, and those things all come out really pretty early on in the life of a vaccine. But we are seeing that there are you know, potentially long-term effects of COVID illness that we may not know for some time, like the diabetes thing. Yeah. I haven't heard it put that way. I think that's really interesting. And I don't think that's a piece that people have talked about, just like the long-term effects of vaccines and how that's not really a thing, a thing. Yeah. for our, you know, our other vaccines. And I, I think people try to compare it a lot to, you know, all the vaccines we get when we're itty-bitties anyway. And I, I People are, I think, hesitant to do that just because it's a new thing and we're scared of new things mm -hmm. um, and we're scared of the unknown. So I think that that's, that's an interesting way of, of looking at it. And I appreciate that for sure. So when we're um, you know, talking about risk factors, talking about whether or not the vaccine is safe for kids, the, the pediatric vaccine has been out for a while now. So we've had it for adolescents for a long time, but we've had the, the pediatric one for a while at this point. Um, are we seeing a difference in the safety for those kids versus, you know, what we had before, or what are we seeing for, you know, the risks of the pediatric COVID vaccine? Yeah. So the, the risks are relatively small. Um, you know, there, there are different categories that I'll put risk into. Um, you can get local reactions after a vaccine, red, 
red arm, swelling, pain, that, that's really quite common. You can get some systemic symptoms, tiredness, headache, muscle pain, chills, fever, nausea. Um, if you have those symptoms that shouldn't be looked at as a failure, that actually is a sign that your immune system is, is recognizing that there is something different there and it's working its best to mount a response. Um, so again, those symptoms aren't fun, but can be easily managed are, you know, self-limited and usually gone within a few days after the vaccine. Um, there are, there is a small chance of severe allergic reaction to any vaccine. Um, that happens, but it's really quite rare. It is really the truly one contraindication to getting another COVID vaccine is if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the COVID vaccine itself. Um, of note, you know, it, when we talk about things like flu vaccines and whether or not you can get it if you have an egg allergy and things like that, um, different people will, you know, question whether or not there's anything else in the COVID vaccine that they could be allergic to. Um, and, and there really aren't components um, like there are not, they're not egg products. There's no preservatives. There's no latex. There's no heavy metals. There are no tissues. So they weren't, you know, derived from fetal cells or anything like that. Other, you know, specific reasons why people might be hesitant or concerned about vaccine components themselves. Makes a lot of sense. So when we're, we're talking about vaccines, is there one that's better for kids than others or one's only one that's approved or... Yeah. So right now of the three COVID vaccines that exist, the Pfizer, the Moderna, and the Johnson Johnson, Pfizer is the only one that is um, approved for um, kids at various ages at this time. I think Moderna is probably not far away. They're doing trials, um, about to come out with some of their data. Uh, but at this time, Pfizer is really the only one that's there. And, um, you know, we've been doing the adolescent kiddos for a little bit longer, the five to 11 age group since um, late fall. Um, hopefully soon to come on the younger kiddos. That's just, it's amazing how fast it's happened. And I, I, I've had very many conversations with you and Dr. Reed about why that happened. And I just think it's amazing how quickly things can go now in our modern age and with this technology that we have available. I just think it's awesome. But yeah, it's interesting. It's almost like the, the dilemma of parenting in general. The days feel long, but the weeks and months feel fast. Um, you know, living a quarantined, careful, try to stay away from this thing life feels really long day to day. But the fact that, yeah, two years into it and, and we're about ready to, to offer the option of having, you know, almost everyone in our population vaccinated is pretty cool. It is pretty cool. I mean, just to think of, you know, if this was a hundred years ago, what that would have looked like and how many more additional people would have died because mm -hmm. we just didn't have this technology available. So yep. I'm thankful for it. Um, I know some of our adolescent kiddos, it's time for them to get their first booster shot. Um, since, you know, that's been out for long enough. And one thing I I've heard from people is, is that the same Is a booster, the same as their original shots? Really good question. So it is, it is the exact same vaccine. It's the exact same dose. Um, I think booster maybe gives it a little bit of a, a wrong connotation. Like I got my two vaccines, I caved. Why do I gotta keep doing this? Why do I need to do this now? Aren't I protected enough? And really that comes back to looking at the data and the science and the numbers. Um, so as we've gone on in this pandemic and we've seen these new variants come about, the, the booster vaccine is, is really considerate part of your primary series that over time, you know, we're seeing that protection wane and, and it really is important to get that recommended third dose, um, for your best protection. Yeah, definitely. 
um, we kind of talked over about risks and, you know, the, the risk of the vaccine versus the risk of getting COVID. Was there anything additional you wanted to say about that? Yeah, I think myocarditis um, took a lot of um, spotlight for a while, and I haven't heard as much about it lately, but um, it did start to come about that especially the adolescent male population um, was uh, seeming to be at a little bit higher risk of the complication of myocarditis after the COVID vaccine. And, and there, there, there have been, you know, some cases. The interesting thing about that is getting COVID illness itself also puts you at risk for myocarditis and pericarditis. In fact, you're 16 times more likely to get myocarditis or pericarditis from an actual COVID infection as opposed to the vaccine. Um, the thing to know about that is, is one, to know what symptoms to look for. Um, so if you're having, you know, chest pain, shortness of breath, um, abnormal, you know, funny heartbeats, like fluttering, racing heartbeats, and you're, you know, an adolescent male and a few days out from your vaccine, that's probably something that you want to go get looked at and, and checked into. Um, the good news is even those who are getting that little bit more, you know, serious complication are seeming to be pretty self-limited. So few of them need to go into the hospital because of that. It usually is symptomatic supportive care, like, you know, ibuprofen and, and rest and fluids and things like that. Um, potentially some time off of sports, depending on um, what your specific condition and what your doctor recommends. But um, not seeing, you know, big major complications because of that. That's good. Um, and with this variant, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but are kids just more likely to get it or are they more likely to get really sick or both? Both. Okay. So um, Omicron has, has definitely proved to be the most contagious variant we've seen yet, which just means more people are going to get COVID. Um, but not only that, not only have we seen more infected with COVID, but more of those who are infected are having, you know, higher complications requiring hospitalizations and things like that. Um, you know, I deal with a lot of the really young population being a pediatric hospitalist. We, you know, do the admissions for young babies with fever, any young baby who gets a fever, that's an automatic, you know, less than two months of age, you're coming back to the hospital, you're getting worked up, you're, you're getting looked at before we really didn't have, you know, many COVID young babies. Now we're seeing more of them. Mm -hmm. So you know, even if they're doing okay from a respiratory standpoint or hydration or any of those other things that can happen with, you know, these types of illnesses, they're young and therefore their fever has to be worked up. So we've had more admissions just from febrile babies and needing to make sure that they're not severely ill. And that's a lot for a family to go through. Yeah. I, I did not prep this question ahead of time, but my thought, it, when we're looking at those babies who are now coming in with a fever, are those... Let me rephrase this. I feel like for a while, families are being really, really careful with little babies, more so than they should have been, you know, not necessarily should have been, but I'm going to start that question over again because I'm not doing very well. <laughs> okay. So when, when we're talking about babies with fever, I know that the idea for a long time was, oh, well, we should protect babies with, you know, not let anybody else in the house. And then when COVID came along, that was just, you know, to the, to the next degree. And I feel like pregnant women and, and moms with little babies we were not seeing anybody. We were not letting anyone our home. We were being really, really, really cautious. And then I think since the, the vaccine came around for adults, a lot of that has gone out the window. And especially in this itty bitty population, I don't know if that's a part of why we're seeing more of that. Do you think in your knowledge of what you see with 
parents? Are they being less cautious than they were and maybe that they, than they should be with itty bitties? There's probably a couple of factors that play into that. There is, I mean, there's got to be some serious pandemic fatigue. It's been two years. We're over it. We've hid, we've sheltered, we've sacrificed, we've changed our lives upside down, whether we wanted to or we were forced to. Um, we're all tired of it. And I, I, I wholeheartedly get that. Um, but also just with the increased, um, you know, it's easier to get this variant. So even people who are being fairly cautious, you're just more likely to be exposed to it right yeah. about now. Um, which again, when we go back to talking about why, why should I think about getting my kiddos vaccinated? One of the reasons is protection of others. Um, and that may be the infant sibling in the house. That may be the one child in the home that has a medical condition that puts them at higher risk. That may be their grandparents, their neighbors, their school teacher. Um, you know, it, it, in our society, I think sometimes we get really tunnel visioned and we just, you know, it's our, it's my responsibility to think about me and my child and we're not th at that great of a risk. So why do I really need yeah. to, you know, potentially risk my child by giving them this vaccine? When, you know, the truth is we're all in this together. We all want this pandemic to end. And one of the best ways to do that is to vaccinate as many people as we can. Um, just letting the virus run wild is what leads to things like mutations. The more people that are susceptible to the COVID virus, um, the more chances it has to get out there, replicate and change. And that's what leads to variants. So the more people that we can vaccinate, you know, our, our young school kids who are, are, they have to be around each other. They have to take off their masks to eat at school. Um, you know, we need to protect as many people as we can to help protect the most vulnerable. That's really helpful to think of it that way. I, I struggle a lot because it, I feel that way. Right. So I feel like, okay, well, it's not just for me and my family, but it's for everybody. And I think that that's an attitude in the United States, it's not really common and especially in this area. And I hear a lot of people talking about, you know, herd immunity and we need to get to herd immunity and whether or not we're there yet um, or not, <laughs> from what I can tell. I didn't know if if there's a threshold that we're kind of trying to get to that will get us there. Does anybody know? So it's kind of been a guess. I mean, all along, it's been a bit of a guess. And the numbers, the earliest on that I heard was, you know, they thought if we could get to 70% of the population, we'd hit herd immunity. But that's really an educated guess because yeah. we've never had to deal with this COVID-19 virus before. We don't really know, you know, what percentage needs to have either natural or vaccine immunity to hit the point where, you know, it, it's going to quiet down compared to what it has been. Yeah. Has anywhere in the world hit that at this point? I don't think so. I feel like Not we would have heard about of. it. Yeah. yeah. I feel like it would be all over. Like, yeah. Hey, we did it. We Congrats. did it. We're, We're done. Check. Yeah. We're done with COVID. And I think that brings up another good question of, you know, if, if you're thinking, well, my child already had COVID, do they really need to get a COVID vaccine? And I can tell you from personal experience this past fall, one to two months before vaccine eligibility for my children, two of them on two different months brought home COVID from school, likely. Um, that's their biggest risk of exposure. Um, and I was so bummed because we had made it so long in the pandemic and done so well, and we were so close to a vaccine for them and they got it. And thankfully, you know, they had mild illness and not severe complications. And I'm very thankful for that. But I did still choose to go ahead and get them vaccinated. Mm -hmm. um, again, like the more protection that I can give my kids, the better. Um, yeah. I don't want to keep doing this. I don't. 
<laughs> I think that's just the tagline. I don't want to keep doing uh, this. I don't want to keep I doing this. Be, I just want to be done. Yeah. It's like, I don't even remember what life is like before at this point. So talking about that, um, we have heard that there is a possibility on the horizon that our, our youngers, you know, two to five or possibly younger than that could be vaccinated as soon as March. What do you, what do you anticipate that looks like? Yeah. So January 21st, I think they made the announcement that there was a possibility of FDA authorization in the next month for kids under five. And most likely that'll be our six month old to to a five-year-old population, kind of like, you know, with the flu vaccine. So there will still be some kiddos who just won't be old enough to get it in the beginning. Um, they're also looking at possibly a three-dose series for our youngest kids. Mm-hmm. The reason that it has been delayed past the point where they thought they would be vaccinating this age population is that in those trials, they weren't mounting the same immune response to the two-dose series. Mm-hmm. Um, so went back and um, trialed the, the three doses, and that will likely be what we see the recommendation come out. So again, if you know in the next month they, it gets approval, it'll take a little bit of time you know, to actually roll out. So possibly in the next couple of months. Um, And again, my youngest child is four. So he is our one and only in our household that is not yet vaccinated. And I cannot wait for him to be able to get his vaccine. Um, You know, just taking off the unknown of, is he going to be the one that if he gets it um, so far, he has not had it this whole time. Knock on some serious wood. Right, yeah. Because um, he's also my most vulnerable in my house. Mm-hmm. He's my asthma kiddo. He's the one who's already been in the PICU with what really is normal respiratory viruses mm-hmm. for the majority of the world. Um, and and so I can't wait to get him vaccinated. I, I am so ready to be able to just live my life a little bit more carefree um, to know that if he does get it, he's got the help of that protection from that vaccine um, that hopefully it would be more mild like what I've seen in my other kiddos. Yeah. I think, I don't want to say I'm on the fence, but so our, we also have what we call the weakest link in our household. Affectionately so. Right. We love him, but he is, he is our weakest link because <laughs> um, he's the only one that hasn't been able to be vaccinated yet. And he's only two and he's like a little shrimpy guy. So I, I, I have a hard time with that intellectually. I know, like I've worked with lots of very smart people who tell me that I, for the most part, don't have an issue with it, but then I get to my little two year old and it's like, Ugh. and I, I think that that's, I, if I think that, and I have kind of not concerns or misgivings, but just kind of like, Ooh, like a little gut, like not Hesitation. sure about that. Yeah. yeah. That I'm sure a lot of people yeah. do. So I'm interested to see how that, that rollout is going to look at that age range. Yeah. Um, and a lot of kids in that, in that age range, maybe don't have the exposure risks that, you know, my kiddo goes to daycare and he can't wear a mask and he's a typical two-year-old that licks everything, like, Mm -hmm. you know, but if, if he didn't, and if he stayed home and he was the only kid and, you know, we didn't have a lot of exposure risks, maybe that might look a little bit different. So I'm interested to see how that will roll out and what the numbers will look like with that rollout. And, you know, especially as we move into spring too, I think people, we just get footloose and fancy free when it gets warm <laughs> outside here in the state of Indiana because we are just ready to be done. So I, I wonder yeah. if that'll impact it too. So I think that'll be interesting. But I think you've made some excellent points that have convinced me that this is the right way to go. So, yeah. um, well, and this idea of like, why do we do this? seemingly torturous thing to this tiny little person. So I'm a, I'm a pediatric hospitalist. Newborn babies is like my bread and butter of Mm -hmm. what I do. Um, and you know, we give their first hepatitis B vaccine in the hospital, like within 
hours of them being born. Why do we do that? Welcome like, the world. doesn't Here that just is. seem mean? Like, hello, baby. Welcome to our world. Let us, you know, jab you in your thigh with, yeah. with these things. Um, and we get a lot of questions about that. And mm-hmm. I think it's really good to stop and ask those questions. Why do we do that? We, why do we give young infants so many shots in their first year? Can't we just wait until they're a little bit bigger and maybe not so, you know, like vulnerable? Mm-hmm. Well, that's just it. They're little and they're vulnerable. And that's exactly why they need it. Their immune system is capable of mounting that response when, when they're given, you know, that uh, basically charge from that vaccine. And that's done in a very systematic and controlled way versus leaving them, you know, unprotected from all of those illnesses. So we give so many vaccines to kids when they're little and cute and vulnerable, and it feels really sad and awful, but we do that because they are the most vulnerable. That is when they need that protection the most. Oh. That's a really, really good point too. It does stink though, doesn't it? They're just like yeah. squishy and they look at you like, you're not going to let this lady hurt me. And then they do. And oh, it's awful. And they put out that bottom lip. Oh, and they just look like, oh, it's awful. <laughs> so what would be your you know, final message for parents who have kiddos that are eligible to be vaccinated or soon to be eligible to be vaccinated that haven't done it yet? Like if yeah. you had to nutshell it. I, I think I would say um, it is safe it is effective and we all want to get back to normal. I haven't met one person yet who isn't ready to be so done with all of this. And honestly, vaccines is the safe and logical way to get there. I know there are concerns. Talk to your healthcare provider. I have zero reserve, zero question about COVID vaccines being the right thing for children. Well, there you have it. There it is. All right. Well, thank you for your time. Is there anything additional that you wanted to add that you haven't yet? I think that's it. All right. I think we hit all the high points and the low points. So I appreciate it. All right. Well, thanks for being with us. And who knows what sort of fun we'll get into next month.